mindset is critical. It's so, so critical in how you respond to things with life. There's a great quote from Thomas Edison. I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. What happens to people that are successful is that they focus on long-term gains rather than short-term rewards. They understand that success is something that happens over a period of time. So they're patiently working towards achieving that and they embrace coaching and mentoring that goes with that. So one of the most important aspects is that people understand that there's no shortcuts to success. I think with instant gratification and in this day and age, people are looking for the secret sauce. Tell me this and I'll be ready by the end of the week and all my problems will go away. It doesn't work out like that. So I'm just going to give you some hacks in terms of mindset because a lot of this is in the mind in terms of why people make it, why people are successful. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. That's what Henry Ford said. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. So when people actually achieve in terms of jobs, careers, their business, they work hard in achieving what they want rather than fretting about how to get things done. And those who are successful focus their actions rather than worrying about how to get things done. So they're aware that having a winning mindset is not enough unless it's backed up by concrete actions. It's bound to fail. It's the law of actions. You must take actions if you're going to achieve in life and get the success you do you want. People that are successful, they're problem solvers, right? So rather than complain about stuff, they approach problems with not only a positive attitude, but they ask themselves, what can I do to make things better? So whatever you're doing, if you've got a situation, don't just go to your boss or even to your client with the problem. Talk about the problem, but also propose the solution because people want problems solved. They don't just want a litany of complaining about problems. It's really important to make sure that you problem solve and you're a problem solver. The next aspect of why people are successful, they believe in results. Their focus is on results. They don't just judge a project success by the amount of time it took to put it in. They judge it by the results it has produced. So if they find out that their initial plan is not working, they quickly recalibrate and get going again. There seems to be a lot of need for coaching and mentoring, whether it be business, whether it be to start the business, whether it be to get investment in business, whether it be jobs, whether it be a career, whether it be mindset, whether it be habits forming, so many aspects and so much need. But unfortunately, people don't follow through on stuff. And that seems to be a quite common theme. Do you find that people talk more than they do? Good morning, Johnny. Always a pleasure. I do find that people talk more than they do. I think, <clears throat> I think in the past, perhaps nine months or so, with so much that has gone on the last two years, I think in some respects, I feel like people are doing, they're more introspective, but I don't know that they bring that self-discovery to fruition. So we start to, to, to challenge everything we're doing and things we thought about and things that we believed were important and things we were willing to tolerate or not tolerate, but we never bring it to closure and say, okay, what am I going to do about it rather than just rethink it and rethink it and rethink it. And I think it's helped, it's 
I, I see it with <clears throat> employees and I call it the miserably employed. They get into the cycle of, of challenging everything and yet not really, as I said, bringing it to closure and making a plan to change and really being uh, very intentional about what they're discovering about themselves and their desires and, their, and what they want for their future or their families, et cetera, and what they're going to do about it. Judy is always gold. You're always gold in whatever you say. Uh, and for those of you in the audience, Judy is the real deal a investor, someone who was the former global CMO of Walmart, great mind, great intellect, a great potential mentor, someone who wants to help people when it comes to their businesses. Do you think we're entering an era now that more than ever before, people are going to become micro entrepreneurs, Judy? Yes. In fact, I think they already are. COVID, if anything, gave us an opportunity when we're sitting at home and talking with our families and people that support us, um, that gave us the opportunities to say, wow, I've always had this idea or I've always wanted to do this myself or I've always wanted to work for myself or I've seen other people start businesses and I've always believed that I could do it as well and I never really did it. And the isolation that came from COVID also brought with it the opportunity to put our toes in the water, as they say, and try it or try something. And so we're seeing many, many micro entrepreneurs pop up and a lot of innovation pop up. And I think it's great. I think it can be very rejuvenating for our souls. There's also this lack of, I guess, fraternity that we don't have in the workplace anymore, where you have all of these people with different kinds of skills than you have that you can bounce ideas off of and say, oh, I think I'm going to do this. What do you think about it? And they can give you diff lots of different perspectives and say, oh, I know someone you should talk to, et cetera. Now you have to decide you're going to reach out for that kind of help and pick up the phone and or, or write an email and say, hey, Johnny, this is Julie. I've got this great idea. Do you know anybody who could do this for me? And making that leap seems to be getting harder and harder for those of us that are working in remote locations and are becoming more and more isolated, whether we realize it or not. Do you agree, Johnny? Yeah, I do agree. And it's lonely, isn't it? If you're a solopreneur or a micro entrepreneur, you know, often people conflate, Judy, having a company and, a, and having a business. So if the business centers on you only, then that's not a company. Company is something which is way beyond that. The word is sell, company, literally. And I think with people now, since the pandemic working from home, it has had its real advantages in terms of like, maybe they can help more with, for example, you've got kids, you know, school runs, uh, potential work-life balance issues. The negative has been sometimes people have not been able to have enough face time with decision makers in companies. So career progression sometimes may have been stalled. And also that sense of camaraderie in terms of team environment. I think eventually it's going to be much more hybrid. So maybe two or three days at home, two days of teamwork, collaborating, ideas, all that kind of stuff, socials in, uh, where people are bonding. Because when I started the world of work, it was prior to the age of the internet or uh, smartphones and stuff like that. I know it sounds like a bit of a dinosaur, but it really was. It was a big thing, the social and the camaraderie and team ethos, especially on a sales floor where it's very, very stressful. A lot of the de-stressing part of the job was 
the interactions you'd have with others, the, the laughs, the jokes and whatever it is, the banter, which if you're just working from home, you, you can miss out on. And I think if you're new into a, a job, you really need to have that kind of on the job work shadowing, mentoring, which you won't be able to get virtually or, or, or at home. It's really more for more senior people onwards. I know we've got Rhonda as well. I just want to ask you one more question, Judy. Why do you think it is when it comes to entrepreneurialism? And, and when I talk about entrepreneurialism, people think, oh, it's recruiting the career stuff. Why we talk about entrepreneurialism? Because everybody has a career, folks. Whether you're a talk show host to a, a singer, to a sports star, to Elon Musk, everybody has a career. If we are entering the world of entrepreneurism more and more, which I think we are, the traditional employee model, like I said, is dying. You'll either be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. 94% of entrepreneurs, Judy, don't make six figures. 94%. And only 2% of entrepreneurs make seven figures. And with startups, nine out of 10 fail within 10 years. And other startups, the information sector has a 25% failure rate, being one of the highest ones. Why do you think all these stats are like so when it seems like either the majority fail or they don't quite earn the figures that they had hoped they want to earn when they started a business? Wow. So I think there's a, a couple of answers. Um, first, one that bridges into what you were just saying, Johnny, and that is about the world of work changing. We, I think as people, we underestimate the value of what we learn by osmosis and observation. And the, the stimulation and the creativity that we see just looking at different ads in the tube station on the way to work or overhearing a conversation that happens in the kitchen while we're getting a coffee and our colleagues are talking or watching in a boardroom someone get dressed down mightily for poor behavior or for saying something, not being prepared for a meeting, etc. What we learn that way is so valuable to us. Even in, in, in our day-to-day -day creativity and inspiration and growth, but also as an entrepreneur. So I start with that. The second thing I would say is that there's a massive difference between having an idea that you want to bring to market and building a business. And I remember my, I had an agency early in my career and we had an intern that I brought in one summer and it, we were wrapping up the end of her internship at one late one evening. And I, her name was Brooke, and I brought her in. I said, so Brooke, what do you think? Do you, do you think you want to build your own agency one day and do this? And she said, oh, heavens, no. And I was shocked by her response. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I do want to stay in this field, but I watch the work that you do. I watch how late the hours you put in. You don't get to practice your craft anymore. You're a full-time legal HR, you know, coach, contract, negotiator, administrator, office purchase agent. She said, I don't want to do that stuff. And I think most entrepreneurs forget that. It's a crappy job. It's a very crappy job. I hear entrepreneurs say, you know, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because I don't want to work for anybody again. The truth is, if you're an entrepreneur, you work for everyone. You work for your employees, you work for your investors, you work for your customers, you work for your vendors, you work for your bill collectors, you work for everyone. 
I remember doing an interview for the Wall Street Journal a hundred years ago. And they asked me how I defined an entrepreneur. And I said, you're not an entrepreneur until you float payroll on your personal visa at least once. Meaning until you pay somebody else's light bill, knowing yours might not get paid. It's a very crappy job all in at certain stages. It can be massively rewarding. I wouldn't do it if it weren't. But there's more negative than positive along the way. You've got to enter it like a boxer with the ring. You've got to know you're going in to get hit. And more times than not, it's going to hurt. And if you're willing to take all that abuse to get the belt or the prize or take the bow at the end, then you're probably cut out to be an entrepreneur. But if you're not willing to take all of that, the world of work and employment is a whole lot easier. I hope that answered your question, Johnny. Back to you. Yeah, that was outstanding. I just enjoyed every moment of that. Anyone want to chime in what they've just heard from Trudy? Just flash your mic. Welcome, Dimple, as well, and Rhonda. Rhonda, go ahead, and Chris. Rhonda, oh, you got quite a lot of mic flash flashes here. Okay, let's work our way around. Ladies first, Rhonda, then Chris, then Dimple, then Sebian. Rhonda? Great. Good morning, everyone. Really wonderful conversation and so timely for me on in both respects. I've got a foot in both worlds. In the corporate world, I am a corporate leader. And so managing a team, working with folks remotely, I am remote. Some other team is not remote. So you've got all of those dynamics at play uh, in terms of what's happening today. You said something earlier, Johnny, that really sort of struck me. And that is something that I think we have to learn today, and that is how do we get recognized? If you are in the corporate space and your goal is to stay in the corporate world for now, and in terms of advancement and growth opportunities, we have to find different ways to celebrate our successes, to share the what we're bringing to the organization and the positive aspects that we are delivering. It's not the same as, as you said, you can't just walk into the coffee room and say good morning to the boss and did you notice XYZ contracts got signed? Those times don't exist. One of the aspects that I coach on is how do you get that recognition today in the remote world? And helping folks think creatively about what it means to be a self-cheerleader, what it means to have other promoters and advocates and champions who are also celebrating for you, What strategies, tangible strategies can you use if you have aspirations and you want to advance? The only way to do that is to be seen and to be recognized. And so putting that into your agenda so that you are very consciously doing it, not boastfully, not in a way that's going to irritate others, but just a way to do that. And then enrolling others in your success also. So if you've got a manager or a leader, one of the things sometimes we we hesitate to say to others, hey, I, I want to move up. I'm really interested in that. When I coach leaders on the, in the advancement space, I tell them they absolutely want others to know that where they're going and what their desires are, because then people tend to look at you with a different lens. So that was the first piece I wanted to add, that people have to be very intentional about sharing their successes if they are hopeful uh, that they're going to um, go up. And that requires a comprehensive strategy of not just you, but others that you can enroll in that as well. And then the other part of this conversation that's really timely for me is the entrepreneur space. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. And it's so funny, Julie, when you said, if you haven't floated payroll out of your own pocket, I was like, oh, 
She feels my pain because that is, I am at the point where I am expanding my company. We've launched a leadership academy with the goal of having a global reach. And so I've uh, I've brought on some team members, bringing on others. And we're now at the point of getting funding for the business. But in the meantime, I am the funding, right? And so, you know, I, I completely understand and it feels like you're getting hit. But there's also something that is a real driver for me. And that is knowing where I'm going. I have a vision of where I'm going now. I may not get exactly there because who knows what this, where this journey will take me. It could take a right turn or a left turn, but I am very focused on what I'm wanting to contribute to the world. And that driver allows me to get hit with those boxing gloves and to get back up, to get hit and to get back up because my eye is on the prize. And as long as I do that, that serves as my internal fuel to keep me moving. So I'm in that space right now, and it's not an easy place to be. And so you absolutely, I agree, you have to be committed and willing to be in this, in the part that is not fun, that is not um, glamorous. It's hard work being an entrepreneur. And if you're not willing to do that, then I advise people to stay in the corporate space. That's okay. We need people in that space as well. Everyone doesn't need to be an entrepreneur. So you've got to figure out where your heart is, where your values are, and what you're committed to. And then you determine, are you willing to get the boxing gloves and get into the ring? So I'll stop there. This is Rhonda. I'm complete. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think Elon Musk said as well, when you start your entrepreneurial journey, there's a lot of pain. Then it gets better. Then there's more pain again. And then it gets better again. I think everybody glamorizes entrepreneurism, don't they? And they feel, it must be lovely. You got your day to yourself and you can do what you want and everything. That's called a lifestyle business, folks. That's called a lifestyle business. And if that's what you want, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's got to do what they want. There's a lot of pressure as well on people to to scale, scale. If you want to scale, that's great because if you've got a vision where you want the company to have a company that runs outside of you, it's not just dependent on you, then that's great. But if you scale too fast, that's one of the major reasons why actually companies go bust. I've dealt with a lot of startups and disruptor companies. I've seen ones that work and ones that don't work. And that's one of the elements. I did say, Chris. I definitely wanted to give a plus one to Rhonda and her theme of intentionality. But in terms of entrepreneurship that both Rhonda and Julie mentioned, my share is really around here in the States. We're seeing this kind of hybrid, right, of people wanting the best of both worlds for different reasons. So I think most people want to be gainfully employed by an employer and have flexibility by working remote. And have a side gig and have some consultancy. It's interesting to see the implications of that because you can see the pros and cons on both sides. I think as a job seeker, a lot of folks are taking advantage of, hey, you know, my employer is inflexible. There's a gap in a market that despite my efforts, this company isn't going to address and I can make some money doing that. I think here in the States, we're seeing a lot of folks that want that ability to have that side hustle to dip their toe into the entrepreneurship pool while still having the stability, camaraderie, and leveraged resources of working within a company. My closing thought is the other side of that is for companies now, especially if they're operating primarily in a virtual environment, they're becoming more crafty in terms of putting in workplace agreements 
that basically say you can't do this on your own and you can't do this for another company while you're contracted to us or while you're on our payroll. It's a really good point. Some companies are more progressive than other companies and it does come down to leadership and culture. It really does. And that starts from the top. So you find some companies that really embrace a lot of the, the, the movements that are going on in terms of flexible working hours, maybe remote working all that kind of stuff. Whereas others see it as an aberration. They don't get it. They really don't. I think we've got to have a distinction. And when it comes to entrepreneurialism and because I keep saying this, because people can be very successful entrepreneurs. So they have a really well-paying job, but they're very smart and savvy. So they invest well with their money. They invest maybe in stocks and shares or they, or they become an investor or they start up something else, which is more of a, a sideline business. You can do a lot of those things, or they go into property where they do up properties, they flip properties, or they try to uh, create recurring income streams in terms of rental incomes. There's a lot you can do, but I think there's the, the, this whole rush because we do put up on a pedestal your Jeff Bezos's, your Richard Branson's, your Elon Musk's. Think entrepreneurism must be great and it must be amazing you can have everything you want but not everything because nobody but nobody has it all the thing is with all of that people don't see all the sacrifice and hard work i'm being honest with you folks most people fail at being an entrepreneur because it's bloody hard it's bloody hard especially nowadays for example in my world recruitment and careers there's 5 million profiles with the word coach on LinkedIn. 5 million profiles with the word coach on LinkedIn. So you need to differentiate yourself. I think Richard Branson once said, if you're not going to do something different, you need to do something better. You think about most things today, unless you're an inventor, most things today, I guarantee if you Google it, something else has been written about it or someone else has done it. So what you're left with, gaps in the market, how you can improve, how you can better that kind of service or product, where is it lacking, how you can differentiate. And whether we like it or not, the perception becomes reality. And that's why branding is so important. Hence, I moved to Dimple and what you've heard thus far in your show. Thank you so much, Johnny. I really resonated with what Julie was sharing and Rhonda. And Rhonda, it's good to see you. I met you way back in the day here. But I think there really is truly a difference between entrepreneurship and, and working in corporate. And everyone wants to be an entrepreneur because they want freedom. I think that's one of the primary reasons that people leave corporate and go into entrepreneurship is for that one word, freedom, because the freedom is something that means so much to them. But when they're in corporate, they might be working their eight hours, nine hours. When you're an entrepreneur, it is not just eight hours. It's not just nine hours. Sometimes it's 10 hours. Sometimes it's 12 hours. Even though people look at you and say, oh, wow, you know, you're sitting and you're working by the pool or, oh, you're having lunch in the middle of the day, a long lunch. But then they don't see that you're also working at 11 o'clock at night, at midnight or you're doing work on the weekends. I think that entrepreneurship is definitely not easy and it is very much glamour, glamour and it's 
it's it's tough. I mean, people want to make it look easy, but I think they're not realistic. Like everything you see on Instagram, all that, you only see like, oh, what's like the positive side? You rarely see people sharing their struggles on social media when it comes to building up their business and what it took. Now, sometimes people will be authentic and they'll share their journey and their story, but usually when they share their journey and story, they've already made it pretty big. So it's like irrelevant to them at that point. I think those are some things to consider when it comes to the difference between the two and determining which one is right for you. You have to decide what's more important. Is it freedom or is it stability of having a paycheck coming in every two weeks, right? Yeah, such good points. And some people can't cope with the pressure of being an entrepreneur because it's such a big shift in mindset, right, where you get your guaranteed salary every month. If you're sick, you get sick pay. If you go on holiday, you get holiday pay. You have other benefits like a pension or whatever it might be. Yes, with your own company, you can maybe start to do those things. You can have a health policy, you can invest in a pension, but there is no guarantee every month unless you've got a recurring income vehicle in your business. So you've developed a business which has a subscription model to it, where it's recurring and you need to manage it, enhance it, improve it. That's why a lot of companies, and and Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, the best way to scale up a company is to productize your business. Services-based businesses are notoriously difficult to scale up because what you need to do is offer products and people are looking much more for recurring income streams. So even in the world of recruitment, It's hard to sell a recruitment company unless you've got a contractor temp vehicle that has an ongoing income stream that's recurring as opposed to just placing permanent staff, which is depending on your sales pipeline every single month. And that's why a lot of people look for that model more and more in terms of investment or scalability. And if you haven't got that, you are at the mercy of your business, because even in my own company, I've had to constantly evolve, constantly evolve the company due to market situations. For for example, when I first started out with a laptop on my lap in a Dubai Marina Times Tower place in a corridor with a pay-as-you-go phone and had to go out to the ministry, get an Emirati sponsor, it was at my lowest because I had actually went to Dubai to join a big corporate job to lead the whole ICT, telco uh, and tech business across Middle East and Africa. And things didn't work out because it was the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008. Expats were leaving their Ferraris and BMWs in Dubai airport. It was all over the news. They were going the other way. We had then ISIS, the Arab Spring. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. He had two choices. One, you just shrug your shoulders and say, right, okay, well, I'm a victim of circumstance. I'll let that defy me. Or you say, no, stuff this, I'm going to fight. And I went down the entrepreneurial route because like Plato said, you know, necessity is the mother of all inventions. Sometimes when your back is to the wall, then you make that leap. I was always put off historically because my dad failed in business. And it was always that kind of mindset. Oh, don't go into business. Just stay in the world of work and corporate. It's safe, it's secure, 
you know, you'll lose everything like your dad did. Don't do it. Don't repeat the same mistake. Until I moved away from that situation, logistically, from one continent to another and different countries being put in that situation, I probably will still be in the world of corporate, had worked my way up the ladder. And it was the best spin that happened to me, but it's also been the hardest spin because if, for example, you're in a situation where maybe you're the sole provider, I have a family of two kids and it's all on you as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business founder, whatever it might, you want to label it and call it like more of a business founder for most SME or solopreneur, it's all on you every single month. So you carry that pressure with you relentlessly. And you have to be so mindful, not putting your one, your eggs all in one basket, because that's dangerous because that basket can be taken away from you. So it could be with just one client, you rely on one client. What happens if that client suddenly just turns around, doesn't want to do business for whatever reason, someone else comes in, they've got their own new favorites, or they change the terms or pull the rug under your feet, you're going to be in trouble. And also how you evolve because how my business started out to how it is now is completely different. I'm trying to create an ecosystem around my business, around recruitment and careers, all of this kind of aspect, because you've got to see the trends of the market and either be following those trends more preferably to be ahead of the curve than behind. Because if you're behind, you're going to be taken over by competitors and market conditions. So you've got to adapt constantly within entrepreneurs and within the world of business. If you don't adapt and show flexibility in your business, then you're going to get caught out. So you've got to constantly think, what else can I do different? How else can I offer more value? I've had to do that with my recruitment business and, and careers business because we've had now a lot of companies take on internal staff to do their own recruitment. Sebian is one of them. We work with a lot of talent acquisition, but most companies want to try to do it themselves. So you think, right, how can I restructure my business? Well, I can restructure it by maybe working with startups that don't have brand equity. They're not on Amazon or Facebook. We have a whole army of recruiters. So you can offer further value like that. So you've constantly got to work at it. You've got to embrace pressure. And for some, it's not for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a career. It can be everything right with a career. Look at Tim Cook. He worked his way up all the way in Apple to CEO level. And he earns way, way more the 99.9999999% of any entrepreneur. So don't be pressurized in following the herd. Sebian, over to you. I, I love everything that has been said because I was in a conversation earlier this week and I used the word grueling when speaking about entrepreneurship. I said it's probably one of the most grueling things that you would voluntarily do to yourself in the pursuit of your passion, work, or whatever goal uh, you put in front of you when you quote unquote decide to go into entrepreneurship. And so I am a big proponent. I think it was Rhonda that said it and several folks said it, right? There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to achieve your goals with an actual employer. It can be done. It has been done and it will continue to be done. I would say glamorizing of entrepreneurship is, is completely skewed because I think it was Dimple that said they put a lot of what folks see is the end result. They see the other side uh, of entrepreneurship, but yet they don't know that to get to the other side, there is 
all of the things Julie mentioned, Christopher mentioned, Rhonda mentioned, Dimple mentioned, there is a process and there is a extreme sacrifice that happens up front and that up front can last for years. <laughs> so I would say whatever goal you have, there is now, uh, and it was mentioned earlier in the conversation, it is swaying towards finding that middle ground of where you can find that balance between your loyalty to your quote unquote full-time employer, your nine to five, and then pursuing your passion work through added skills or whatever purpose, whatever you want to do outside of that. And one of the questions, I'm getting this question a lot from mid-career professionals, so much so that I've been asked to to put a space together about it of how do I balance maintaining my loyalty to my employer, but I have all these other passions that I want to pursue a little hesitant because I don't want to off put or put my current position in jeopardy. And so that is a active ongoing conversation in the marketplace. I know some employers have embraced it and are flexible. You see these folks on LinkedIn with their full-time quote-unquote job title with their side business or hustle. And then there's other employers like Chris mentioned. I literally know <laughs> I've had these folks come to me and say, within the last year, my company just gave me sort of this non-compete. Should I sign it? <laughs> because I, I have this other gig that I'm doing. And so it's real. It's happening. I would say do a self-analysis. You should never be reactive in these types of decisions. Go back, really analyze what you're trying to achieve in the short term and then long term, and then map out the options for you and how you can get to those, whether it is in your current position or role, or maybe it's shifting to stay in the industry, but maybe at another company that's a bit more flexible and has a, a bit more autonomy that allows you for the freedom of exercising your passions through other outlets while still not giving up the comforts of having that employer that although it's not secure or guaranteed, it gives that peace of mind of, okay, I have something that's steady that I can rely on while I build over here. Great size of Sebian as always. Oh. Anyone else got final thoughts before we wrap up? Because time is precious for all us here. Rhonda? Oh my goodness. I loved everything that CBN just said. I'm in that position currently where um, I am really walking a line because my employer does one thing. I do um, global co coaching and consulting with healthcare organizations around the world with my current um, employer. Then I am doing, I just lost the Leadership Development Academy. And so CBN, it's hilarious. As you were saying that, I was going, ooh, ooh, he must be talking to me because I am constantly walking this line to make sure of where those things are. In fact, if there's folks will come to me and say, hey, Rhonda, do you want to speak on? And I'm like, mm, no, because if I do that, my current employer might feel all of a sudden that like I'm competing with them. So it is a balance and we need to be strategic about this and understand um, that we can't just do whatever we want. If we are in someone's employee, then we, that means we have to honor and respect certain boundaries and that's okay too. So I have defined where those boundaries are for myself, understanding what we do as an organization and what I do in my business. And I've created those lanes. However, I still am constantly always thinking that 
oh, they may think I'm competing, but I've decided that that's okay. That's a risk I'm willing to take. And if they want to talk to me about that, I'm happy to have that conversation. So I've already gone through that analysis and that risk analysis in my mind. I think that's really important. And if my employer were to come to me and say, hey, you can't do this anymore. We need you to sign a non-compete. Then that would be a decision for me. They make decisions and we make decisions. At the end of the day, we always get to be the ones to decide what's really going to work from us. I had refused to operate from a fear-based place in terms of my business. That's not the the energy, the abundance that I am going to operate in. I go forward and I do what I do. And so far, it's been fine. And I'm sure that someone out there may have a few questions, but I'm happy to entertain those conversations. It's just a decision that I made and a risk that I am willing to take because I have a vision and it is worth it. Thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you so much. Judy, go ahead. I just wanted to add that I think if you're considering entrepreneurship and you're currently in a working environment, don't think of your employer as simply a paycheck or security. Think of it as an incredible university for you. Use with intentionality. Think about what you need to learn about human resource practices formulating contracts, negotiating for hire, and build that network and learn from your colleagues in the HR space. Same thing with legal. Same thing with office leasing. Same thing with purchasing supplies, not for resale. Same thing with your finance department and how they structure their balance sheets, how they manage them and structure them and their P&Ls and decisions they make on corporate structures. Think of it as your university. You can day in and day out, go from class to class and have access to experts that you won't have when you're an entrepreneur and build your learning journey while you're there so that every hour that you put in for that employer is also fit 10 or 15 minutes that you can put in for yourself. Be thoughtful and conscious about that learning journey. It will serve you well when you're out flailing on your own. <laughs> and I wish all the entrepreneurs in the room the very best, Johnny. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, absolute great way to end the room. Please give us a review, rate at the podcast. I do put a lot of thought-provoking topics on there. It helps with the algorithm. Just takes five seconds of your time in terms of rating. And we are ruled by algorithms. I actually have a podcast about that, the dark side of social uh, media and how algorithms rule us. We had thousands of people that joined that room that day. So it's a fascinating conversation. You can catch the podcast. Thank you, everyone. God bless. Take care.